The reading on the screen, please, uh, Rob, if that's all right. You don't need to shout, oh no, it isn't at any point during this talk. <laughs> well, you might do, yes, yes, that's all right. <laughs> well, if you're a, a regular at St. Michael's, you may know that uh, about, well, four times a year, Cy, our team rector, plans the services for the uh, following three months, and uh, he sends around a rota to those of us who are going to be preaching and leading the services. And uh, usually through each quarter, there are a number of series running. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned, the, the current series that we're in is quite a short one of three Sundays on the theme of generosity. Uh, Chris Bradley kicked us off last week with the first one in the series, and Sai will be finishing next week. And uh, when I looked at the passage that had been um, Sai had put down in the rota for this morning, I wondered whether he'd made a mistake because it doesn't mention anything about generosity. In the New International Version of the Bible, which we use in church, the section that we're looking at is titled Paul's Charge to Timothy. Uh, We'll read that out at the beginning. And as you may know, Timothy was a young Christian who'd been trained by Paul and he was now looking after the church in a place called Ephesus. And this book of the Bible, 1 Timothy, is a letter from Paul to Timothy encouraging him in his ministry. And this passage that we're looking at this morning comes near the end of the letter uh, where Paul urges Timothy not to get distracted and not to uh, lose his focus uh, from what is most important. Paul tells him to focus his attention on righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And he tells him to fight the good fight. And I think that means two things. It means to contend for the faith against those who oppose it, and it means to resist temptation in his own life and to pursue godliness. But this section is sandwiched between two others which deal with issues relating to money. The verses that Chris covered last week, verses 3 to 10, talk about the importance of godliness and contentment and the dangers of having an unhealthy love of money. And the verses that Sai is dealing with next week speak about uh, Paul exhorts the rich to be generous and to look to God for their security, not to money. So the question really is how these verses that we're looking at this morning relate to the bits that are before and after. You know, has, has Paul's mind just kind of wandered off at a bit of a tangent and then he's come back to his subject? Or is he just kind of scribbling down a few random thoughts that he thinks might be helpful to Timothy? Well, if you know anything about Paul's writing, as I'm sure many of you do, I would suggest that uh, there's no discontinuity in what he's saying. He's very logical in his thinking. And I think it follows because when the Bible talks about money, it doesn't talk just about money because money is a bit like a spiritual barometer Uh, I don't have many family heirlooms in my family uh, but uh, when my parents died there was one thing that they left me that I inherited and that was a barometer and it's not a particularly valuable antique or anything like that but uh, it has a certain sentimental value and we have it on the wall in our hallway and as you know a, a barometer measures air pressure 
and it gives you a bit of an insight into what's going on with the weather. And, uh, you know, if you step outside, you can often tell something about the weather, can't you? You say, well, it looks like it's going to rain today or whatever. But you can't tell what the pressure is, the air pressure. And the barometer gives you a bit more of an insight into what's going on. And in the same way, the way that we think about money and the way we handle it tells us something about our spiritual health. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Chris uh, told us last week something about tithing, which is giving 10% of your income. He suggested that we should view that as a floor and not a ceiling. That is, as a starting point, a minimum to work from rather than a maximum to work towards. He talked about giving sacrificially and he encourages us to be so generous that it's scary. And these are not things that come naturally to us, are they? The idea of giving away so much money that we may not have enough left to live on is one which most people would think is completely crazy. God's way of handling money doesn't make any sense to us unless the Holy Spirit has changed our hearts. And that's why what we do with our money is not primarily an economic question. It's a spiritual one. And I think that's why, after warning Timothy to steer clear of the love of money, Paul goes on to encourage him to focus on his spiritual life. And the first verse that we looked at, verse 11 there at the top, he says, But you, man of God, flee from all this. That's the love of money that was mentioned in the previous passage. And then he says, And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And so I'd like us to look briefly at each of the qualities in that list which Paul encourages Timothy to pursue. Firstly, let's look at righteousness and godliness. We'll take those two together. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says that if we put God first, then he will provide all that we need. Or to put it another way, as we focus our attention on becoming more like Jesus, then we will become more free from worries about money. And that will most likely make us a lot more generous. I know many of us may, know, um, may have known Michael Book, who was a member of this church for quite a few years and who died a few months ago. And he used to say that uh, he, he woke up in the morning, his alarm clock woke him up at half past six each morning. And often as he was just kind of coming to in the few minutes after the alarm had gone off, he would look across at the clock and it would say 6.33. And he always said whenever, whenever that happened, it reminded him of that verse that I've just read, which was the last verse in that passage from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6.33. It's quite a well-known verse to many people. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
Righteousness and godliness are the foundations of a healthy attitude towards money. And they're not just negative qualities. As we become more righteous, more godly, that doesn't mean that the list of things that we don't do gets longer and longer. The God that we believe in is a generous God. And if we become more like him, we will inevitably become more generous. I think also on a, on a pragmatic level, have you ever found yourself worrying about a particular problem when something else comes up and you're distracted from what you were worrying about? And then when later on you come back to thinking about it, the problem somehow resolved itself. Looking back on my life, I reckon that probably most of the real disasters I've worried about have never actually happened. And so if nothing else, if we preoccupy ourselves with living as God wants us to live, it will stop us being preoccupied with money. So then secondly, Paul tells Timothy to pursue faith. Now if we find our security in money, then it means whenever we give any of it away, we threaten our security. Giving is a risk. But if our security is in God, then it frees us to be generous. If we're living by faith, then we're just as secure however much money we give away. It is hard to be generous, isn't it, if we're worried about money. If we are spending all our time worrying about how to pay the bills, then being generous is not going to feature very highly in our thinking. Again, coming back to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So Jesus says that faith is the antidote to worry. And as we grow in faith, we become more able to trust God to provide for us. And the sense of security that that gives us liberates us to be generous. It's often said that you cannot outgive God. And I think plenty of people have lived their lives trying and they've enjoyed failing. Then thirdly, Paul tells Timothy to pursue love. Now Jesus said that the whole of God's law can be summed up in two big principles. Love God and love other people. And that is what the Christian faith is all about. <clears throat> In the previous section of this chapter, Paul warned Timothy that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And he tells Timothy to flee from it. Because if we love money, then sooner or later that's going to get in the way of our love for God and our love for other people. How many people have pursued financial success and neglected their families in the process? How many have seen marriages and families fall apart because they've been too preoccupied 
with their careers and with the financial rewards that they can bring. Rob Parsons, who's the founder of the Christian charity Care for the Family, has done a lot of speaking to groups of successful business people about the importance of their families. And uh, Rob Parsons says that in all the contact that he's had with people who've made it big in business, there's one thing that nobody has ever said to him. And that is, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. But he said plenty of them have looked back on their careers and wished that they'd spent more time with their families. Freeing ourselves from the love of money liberates us to love God and other people. And part of that is that it frees us to be generous. Because generosity is a mark of love. Then we come to the fourth quality which Paul tells Timothy to pursue, and that is endurance. I hope you're not feeling you need too much of that at the moment. We might wonder how that fits in with what Paul is saying about generosity and avoiding the love of money. But the Bible says a lot about perseverance, about steadfastness, about pressing on. And we're living as Christians in an increasingly unchristian country. And it can be difficult. It needs stickability. It can be hard work. And it may involve an element of discomfort. But one of the factors which drives our love of money is a desire for comfort, isn't it? Chris, who spoke to us last week, uh, told me uh, some time ago when he was working for a financial services company that he said some of the the guys he was working with who were high up in the company were stashing away enormous amounts of money for the future. In some cases, really much more than they were ever likely to need to live comfortably. But they were driven by this desire for, for comfort and for security. Our lifestyle here in the Western world must be the most comfortable that any people have ever enjoyed at any time in human history. Now, I realize we've not completely eradicated pain and discomfort by any means, but we are better off than anyone has ever been before. And, of course, it's not a bad thing to be comfortable, but it's a bad thing to get too comfortable. Chris talked about being so generous that it's scary. Now, to live like that is going to need some endurance, It's going to need the determination to stick with it when money gets tight. To trust God to provide and not to cut back on giving when we can't see where the money is going to come from. I'm all in favour of having central heating and comfortable seats in church. But there's a sense in which coming to church should always involve a bit of discomfort. Not necessarily in the physical environment, but as we take God's word seriously and allow it to challenge us it can be uncomfortable and we should never try and avoid that. And that brings us to the final quality that Paul talks about, gentleness. If we look back on the history of this country and particularly on the Industrial Revolution and look at the lives of the people who've made fortunes from the canals, the railways, the coal mines, the mills, all these things, 
it would be true to say, wouldn't it, that there's more evidence in their lives of a love of money than there was of gentleness and kindness towards other people. A desire to make a fortune is more often accompanied by ruthlessness and exploitation than it is by kindness. That's one of the reasons why the fair trade movement has come about. Because the natural tendency of powerful people who want to make money is to exploit those who work for them and who are weaker. Gentleness, kindness and the love of money don't often go together. And however much money we have, we can either grasp hold of it tightly to make sure we keep as much as possible or we can hold on to it gently. We can be ready to let go of what God has given us when God prompts us to give it away. I'd like to finish this morning with a joke. I know everyone likes jokes. Uh, I think I've told this one before, so apologies if you heard it. But it's one of my favourite jokes because it's not so much a joke, actually, as a parable. And it's about a man who loved money very much and realised too late that his love of money had caused him to miss out on what was most important. And he's about a very rich man. He, he had enormous wealth and he was told by his doctor that he only had a few months to live. And he was very distressed, not at the prospect of dying so much, but at the prospect of leaving all his money behind when he went. So he began to pray and he asked the Lord if an exception could be made and he would be allowed to take his money with him when he died. And one, one night as he was praying, something remarkable happened. An angel appeared at the foot of his bed. And the angel said, the Lord has heard your prayer. He said, when you, when you arrive in heaven, you'll be allowed to take one suitcase into heaven. And the man was absolutely ecstatic. He thought, this is brilliant, fantastic. So he went out and he sold everything he had. All his houses, his cars, his yacht, his private jet. He cashed in all his shares and he converted everything into gold bars. And he bought the most enormous suitcase he could find and packed all the gold bars into the suitcase. And then he duly died and arrived at heaven with his suitcase. And Peter opened the gate and saw him there. And he said, ah, I said, great to see you. We've been expecting you. Then he saw the suitcase. And he said, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. The rules are very strict. You'll have to leave the suitcase outside. And the man said, it's okay. I've got special permission from the Lord. And Peter said, oh, yeah, I've never heard that one before. He said, no, no, really? Could you go and check? So Peter went off and came back a few moments later, shaking his head in disbelief. He said, well, apparently it's true. Yes, you'd better bring it in. So he dragged his suitcase through the gates. And of course, if you know anything about Peter, he's very impetuous. He couldn't contain his curiosity. So he said, he said no one has ever been allowed to bring anything into heaven. This is the first time in 2,000 years that I've let anyone in with anything, you know, bringing anything in. I'm dying to know, what have you got in the suitcase? Do you mind if I have a look? And the man said, no, no, sure, no problem. And he unclipped the suitcase and the gold bars just burst out. There were so many in there, it, they just spilled out all over the floor. And Peter was absolutely dumbstruck. He stared open-mouthed at this pile of gold bars. And when he, when he got his composure back, he said, do you mean to tell me that you're the first person ever to bring anything into heaven and all you can bring is a few pieces of pavement. 